What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the JM Special, where I love to talk about Magic the Gathering, Warhammer 40k, Dungeons and Dragons, and other aspects of my nerdy life. My name is John, I'll be your host for this Tavern Tuesday, where I delve into how I create follower NPCs for your players, and how they can really work in the world, help support your smaller party sizes, and be detrimental to your actual overall campaign. We're going to save the sponsor till the end of the episode, so without further ado, let's hop on in. So, for me, I absolutely love having NPC followers for my players. I think it's just part of my mentality that, as a war gamer, I love to have big armies. I love to have big squads of dudes that are running around. So, whenever I am a player, I love to recruit other NPCs to fight alongside me that I could command and charge on. Um, but I found for my games, NPC followers can be extremely helpful for shoring up some of the weaknesses of your party. For me, I have played in parties as big as five people before, uh, but primarily a lot of my a lot of my play groups is usually two to three people. So you may not have, you know, once you get to three, you have a pretty good shot of actually making things work. But whenever you're playing with just two people or even just one person where you're doing a one-on-one game there, NPC followers are extremely advantageous to the players, being able to shore up weaknesses and be able to still continue on the, the normal tropes or plot hooks of the game by just using the follower instead of another player. Before we really dive in, I'm going to let you know there is no right or wrong way to do this. Just like most D&D, um, whether you want to run a module or whether you want to do homebrew, whether you want to run followers or you don't, or how you specifically want to run a follower or deal with your NPCs or enemies, it's really up to you as the dungeon master. There's not necessarily a wrong way to do it. As long as you and your friends are sitting down together, you're playing, and you know, you're know you pretty much playing the basic structure of the game and everybody's having a good time, you're doing things right. So... I'm going to tell you what I've done and what I've gotten feedback from my players on concerning followers. My very first NPC follower I had come to the table was a uh, barbarian miner named Jessup. Jessup had joined my players um, in freeing his friends on a mine that got taken over by bandits. He died in the process and it was a heroic death, um, but all I did literally was I took the berserker... Um, I guess the the creature box, the stat box for a berserker on the, you know, the monster manual. I use that in order to play Jessa. Any of the roles, strengths, weaknesses, weapons that was there, I used everything that was on that chart to do it. And it worked out pretty okay. The biggest thing I had to do was I had to make sure that I did not allow Jessup to overshadow the players. The thing was, is they were all level one. So he was the equivalent, if not a little bit better skilled than the rest of my players. The thing was, is I wasn't playing anybody that was a tank at all. So yeah, that was kind of the big thing there was they didn't have anybody that could take damage. I had a rogue who was wanting to sit back and deal damage. I had a uh, wizard who was squishy, couldn't take any damage. So, you know, Jessup was definitely a good addition to the game and the fact that he did short up the weakness of the party. The downside was is that Jessup was a little more overpowered than my players, and he did a lot more work than they did going through that first dungeon. There's nothing wrong with doing it. You can definitely go that right way if you want to, but for me, I also found out that it was kind of difficult to track hit points for him um, and run him. So I, I was having a bad time with that side of things. 
you also have the other side of the coin, which is called a DMPC, Dungeon Master Player Character, where you essentially draw up a player character and you run them as a Dungeon Master. I would not recommend DMPCs. I know some Dungeon Masters that do run them. And again, a lot of times they go from the, oh, I'm going to shore up the weaknesses of the party. Other times, it's usually a player that got stuck as a Dungeon Master or a forever DM that said, I really want to play in a campaign. So they're essentially playing their own campaign as that DMPC. Again, it's really hard to make sure that you don't overstep your bounds as a DMPC um, and that you allow your players to actually live in the world that you've created. The biggest thing there, I would say, and I personally, I have tried this before, I gave it up real quick, and that's simply because when you are using that DMPC, you're already having to keep track of the environment, what's happening in the area, what's going on during combat. You have to figure out and track all of the enemies and what kind of hits they're having and hit points they have and their dexterity and initiative. So you adding a full-on player makes things a little bit difficult for you. If you thought running a simple stat block out of the monster manual, like the commoner or the berserker or something along those lines for one of your characters, the DMPC is going to be probably double, if not triple that amount, especially if you're playing a spellcaster DMPC. But again, it's an option. I just, I would not really recommend that route just for the simple fact that it's a lot to undertake as a uh, dungeon master and it is pretty hard to try and differentiate yourself from your players when you are running it that way. Then as I was playing and I had acquired different books along my journey of being a dungeon master, I got a hold of the Strongholds and Followers book by Matthew Colville. Um, I think it's MCDM Productions. Um, super, super great book. I love it for the strongholds, um, and I really love it for the followers. And he's got a full mission in there. I recommend if you have an opportunity to pick one up, it's definitely good if you want some help with world building and everything. He's got a Kingdoms of Warfare one coming out too, which I have not acquired, but it definitely looks pretty cool. I kind of stole a little bit from Matt Colville's um, direction on his followers. I would definitely recommend checking it out as he has like wounds and he has like different um, signature abilities and everything. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. And I like the way that he puts it in there. Not to mention as your players have their different strongholds, they acquire different followers that they can bring alongside them. And it's kind of all randomized. But uh, for me, I kind of, I ripped that off a little bit. I took his words and said, hey, if you find somebody some doing something cool, rip it off. So I did. And what I did was I created followers of several different classes in D&D. Now, as a minimalist DM, what I ended up doing is I just cut out a half of an index card. Each little half of the index card was going to be its followers. So that was going to be the stat block for it. And the way that I make it work is as follows. All of your followers have a level. They do not level with the players necessarily. They are actually leveled to them kind of like on an average. So what it's going to be is if you have, well, it's not an average, but it's the, um, the highest level that your player characters are, that follower is half of that level. And they are half that level rounded down. So for instance, if you have a, or actually rounded up, my bad. If you have a, a wizard that is a level one wizard, they can have a follower that is essentially a fighter join them. And that fighter will be a level one because it's half of what their level is rounded up. If your wizard is a level two and you have that same fighter come along, it's half that level rounded up. So it is a level one. 
Um, then once you get to three, now you've got a level two. Once you get to four, you still got a level two. Once you get to five, now you got a level three. See, see where I'm kind of going with that one? Each level that your players are getting up there, your followers are essentially trailing behind them by half. I do this simply just so that it won't overshadow my players. I want this NPC to be useful. I want them to grow with the players and become stronger with the players, but I don't want them to overshadow them like Jessup was doing where he was taking out all the enemies. I want my wizards and my fighters and my rogues and everybody else that I bring to the table to actually contribute to the adventure. I don't want to run an NPC is kind of how I'm feeling. Then what you do is I kind of take, it's a little bit from Matt Colville, but a little bit from uh, Warhammer 40k and Kill Team. I run my guys with wounds. Each level that my follower is, is equal to their wound level. So if they are a level one follower, they have one wound. If they're level two, they have two wounds, level three, three wounds, so on and so forth. And the way it works is that if you have an enemy that attacks them and attacks them successfully, that NPC follower then has to make a saving roll and try to beat the damage that was dealt to them. If they don't, they are down like a normal player. They have three chances to be um, to save themselves or be saved by the party. Otherwise, they're dead forever. Uh, my players have never gotten a follower down to that level yet, but, you know, it's, it's inevitable one of these days. But um, when you are playing with those NPC followers, they are great for being a tank if they need to be, but not being super overpowered. It also helps out with not having to figure out, oh, how much health points do these guys have? How much damage can these guys take? And it's less that you have to keep track of for them, and it makes it easier for your players, it makes it easier for you. Then you go out to the actual like class of that follower, and what I do is I figure out, okay, what kind of class do I want to bring to it? What I did is I made, um, I think I made four or five different classes. So I have a kind of tanky fighter. He's got a two-handed great sword, and that's he's there to take damage. Um, I have a wizard. I have a cleric. Um, I have a a ranger. I think I got another one too, but essentially what I did was I figured out, okay, what kind of classes are there for D&D and what can go through and shore up weaknesses? If I need somebody that's more perceptive of the environment or if I need somebody to be able to track things down, I can use that kind of tracker ranger sort of thing. If I need, um, if my players need to be able to uh, go into a fight and have somebody that can take the damage and tank it, I'll bring that fighter. If I need somebody that's going to be a bit more of a healer or help out against the undead, I bring the cleric. If, you know, they need somebody who is intelligent and is a master of the arcane arts, they can bring that wizard. So that's kind of where my thought was, was shoring up the weaknesses for the players still, and I make this follower with that class. There's nothing wrong, though, if you make a class like that and you say, hey, I've got a paladin that's running around. I'm going to go ahead and bring this fighter that's a super big tank to join him on that side. So, you know, if you want to double down on their strength, you can definitely do that if you want to. From there, then you want to figure out what I call their, their signature attack. So a signature attack is essentially they get one type of attack and then they get one special ability. So you have a signature attack and a special ability. Your signature attack they can do as many times as they want to per actions that they have on a turn. So the fighter, I think he had a just normal slashing with his greatsword was his signature attack. So that's the attack that my players can choose, almost as if it was Pokemon and you know two moves. You can say, hey, use your greatsword slash. He does a greatsword slash, you or your players can roll that up, 
and your players effectively got to run that NPC with you. And that's the cool thing with the follower is you're not having to run everything. You're not having to be a DMPC. You're not have to worry about the leveling up or any rest of that stuff. You don't have to worry about what they're doing in combat. Instead, you allow your players to move them as if they are another piece of their party. You allow the players to move them. You allow the players to attack with them. So, you know, the signature signature attack, make it something that is going to deal damage. You know, make it a burning hands for the, the wizard or make it a um, make it a mace for your cleric or whatever you decide to go with there. You know, you choose on how you want to do that. The other thing you got to figure out is armor characteristic. You know, depending on what you're playing on there, I would just say it's up to you. You know, if you're looking for lighter armor, um, no armor would be like 10. Lighter armor would be 13. Heavier would be like 15. And heaviest would be like 18, I would say. And so if you're figuring out like the AC for them, whenever you're saying, hey, I'm rolling to see if they can attack in the first place, then that's how you kind of figure out, oh, this guy's wearing a whole lot of armor. He's going to have an 18 AC. Oh, this guy's wearing a little bit of armor, but not a lot. He's going to have 15. Oh, this guy's wear wearing leather armor. He's got 13. Oh, this guy has nothing on. He's got an AC of 10. So you figure that out, pair it up with the class, and their signature attack is going to figure out, okay, well, this is going to be more fighty. Is he going to be more spellcasty, utility-based? Like, what exactly is going to be going on? Which brings me to the final ability, um, which is the signature, not signature attack, but the, uh, the special abilities. So the cleric, for example, has like a healing hands ability where he can heal the party. So you've got that, but you can also do something like, oh, I'm going to have a turn undead. You know, my fighter that I have, he actually has a wounding ability, which causes the opponent or the creature of the attack to bleed. Um, they have to make constitution saves in order to actually prevent or stop the bleeding. Um, the wizard has, I forget what his was, but his is essentially like a, I compared it to like a lightning heal, it's from Magic the Gathering, where it does damage and also heals at the same time. So when it comes to the special ability, it literally is a special ability. I don't want you using it every single time you turn around. Instead, I want you to focus on, hey, I've got this, um, I've got this ability that they can use, but you want to limit to their level. So what I do is for like that wounding move that the, uh, the fighter can do, I limit it to say he can do it once per long rest. So if he hasn't taken a long rest, he can't do it if he's done it once already, if he's level one, but it's once per level per long rest is kind of how I equate it out to be. So if you have a level two, they can do it twice. If you have a level three, they can do it three times and four, so on and so forth. And they can do it that many times before they need to take a rest and then they can jump back into it there. So that special ability, it helps make them a little bit more of a powerful ally than just saying, oh, I've got a guy that can swing a sword around instead of say, hey, this guy can swing a sword, but he can also inflict some, you know, wounding damage. You can also instead say, hey, they can use this once, but maybe level up the power of it, you know, per level they're at. So essentially you can make it, oh, it's a level, you can only use this thing once for a wizard, but effectively it's like a fireball and you level that fireball damage up or you multiply it by each level that they are, level one, two, three, four. So that's kind of what a follower does and that's how they, they work. That's how I figure out they got wounds, they got levels, they got a class. Uh, oh yeah, the other thing, they have skills. So like, for instance, you may boost up their intelligence skill or for a tracker, you may uh, put up their survival skill or something along those lines. It's really up to you on how you want to craft these followers and how detrimental or how helpful you want them to be for your party.
I've gotten feedback from my players before on these followers and they do like them. The thing is, is you as the DM only focus on role playing these guys. But when it comes to combat, you hand them over that little card. The players know everything that there is stat wise for that NPC and they run them. They run them as if they're a second character. When that second character dies, the players feel connected because it was another part of them that they got to play in the game. Even though you were role playing them, they had some agency in them as the decisions they made during combat. So that's kind of uh, how the NPC followers work. You can role play them, make your players do combat, and then you can also make them not super powerful, but still make them useful to the party and help allow them to level up. You know, you can't always go to, like the hireling way if you want to, where you just say, hey, this guy's got one, one HP. If he gets hit, he dies sort of thing and just have a swarm of dudes like that. It's totally up to you if you want to do that. It's more closer to like 3.5 uh, for D&D from what I've read. But um, this one allows them to be as if they're like a character light is how I like to equate it. So a character light into the game of Dungeons and Dragons. Pretty cool concept for me. My players really liked it. And it's something that I'm going to continue using. Please let me know if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have any thoughts, revelations, insights around my follower method. If there's ways you think I can make it stronger or things that I maybe made it too strong, let me know. Um, email me at thejhamspecial at gmail.com or hit me up thejhamspecial on Twitter or the real jham just about every social media and gaming platform there is. I'd love to hear what you guys want to hear content-wise. And if you have any, you know, suggestions on what I should talk about in the future, you want to just have me talk about different games that I like as well too, let me know. Anyway, you guys have a good rest of the day and good rest of your week, and we will talk to you on the next Tavern Tuesday. Bye.